from page to screen. Movie cast. Hello. Hi. Hello. Yes, hi, technical, technical difficulties at your end as well, I believe. I apologize for that, yes. It's quite all right. I'm hovering them at this end, so this will do one of two things. It'll either work or not. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Welcome to the world of the internet. It's amazing sometimes. So how are you? It's like two o'clock, isn't it, where you are? Los Angeles, I believe. It is, it is. What time is it where you are? It is a ten past ten at night. It's raining. Um, it's typical uh, British weather, really. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you for uh, for having me. Not a problem. I'm recording it all at this end, so if there's any Skype outs or anything, I can try and work the wonders of editing and make it all sound uh, perfect by the end. So it was, uh, yeah. There we go. I'm just bringing some notes up as well. It's very interesting looking into the documentary that you're putting together as well. I knew virtually nothing about it until today other than chatting with you guys on Twitter. So talk to me first. I mean, I one of my first questions for you was going to be, what made you decide to do a documentary about this lady called Mary Small? However, looking into it, I discovered why you would do a documentary about a woman called Mary Small. Um, but would you like to explain in your own words how you came to sort of make that wonderful discovery that you you discovered, which then sent you on this uh, this journey to make the film. Yes, this film really has been a journey. I I found out some years ago that I, I was given up for adoption, and in the course of tracing my roots back, I ended up hiring a woman who did a performed a search for Run DMC uh, or one of the members of that band many years ago. I saw her program on television and I hired her and I had her look through her records and talk to some of the people that she knew. And she was able to trace my roots back to a woman named Mary Small and her husband, Vic Mizzy, who was uh, who, who were singers and composers in the 1930s and 1940s. And upon finding this out, I was immediately intrigued and began researching it and it just kind of unraveled. I mean, I sort of I looked up on a couple of websites today, and within maybe five minutes, I was intrigued. Um, you've obviously seen a far bigger pile of information and background that I've seen. So, um, yeah, I mean, what was the first part that you discovered? Obviously, you discovered who Mary Small was, um, when she was, and and sort of what she did. What have been? What were some of the highlights that made you think I need to make this as a documentary? This has to be done. Well, it was it was essentially this. Her husband had become very famous and very uh, very successful and very well known. He was a prolific songwriter and composer through the 30s and 40s. He came out of Tin Pan Alley in New York City, which is where a lot of the standards and the sound of America actually originated. Um, you know, everybody I, from Rodgers and Hammerstein to to well, all of all of that era kind of came out of out of that uh, that locale in New York at the time, and he became very successful with soundtracks later on. He also did uh, quite a lot of television, including The Addams Family, um, and nothing has ever been done about him. But you know, I I felt that she kind of was um, overlooked when she died. She she died penniless and alone, and there are reasons for that, but I never thought it was quite right that she was overlooked in terms of an obituary, and I think 
I wanted to put the film together in, as an homage, not just for her, but for all of those of the greatest generation, which, uh, you know, as I say, that's how we refer to the people who were born, you know, in the early part of the depression and lived through the war and fought the war, both the, the English, uh, the Americans and, and the British. Uh, and I wanted to kind of pay homage to this great generation. Uh, so I, I picked Mary small as a vehicle to do that. And so the, the film is a portrait of, of, of this woman as, as a child and uh, a mother uh, and, and a singer, an entertainer, going through this difficult time and coming through uh, in the way that she did. Unfortunately, it's a, it was a tragic story the way that it ended, but I felt it needed to be told. And you'd mentioned, uh, I mean, looking online and a little bit of information on you putting together the documentary, you've pumped a lot of your own money into this already. Um, you are currently raising some funds on the Kickstarter website so people can go and have a look at that. Uh, what stage is the documentary in at the minute? Um, you know, when did you first start putting it together would be my question first, I think. About two and a half years ago, we began collecting the interviews. I traveled to New York to meet with some luminaries and, and people of that era, like Joe Franklin, who passed away earlier this year. He actually had one of the first television shows in, in America. He was Al Jolson's uh, assistant, if you can imagine that, how old he was. Um, he was a centenarian. Uh, actually, I think I don't even think he got to 100. He was about, I think he was in his 80s, but we, we met with, Rudy Valley's ex-wife, uh, of course, she was his widow, I should say, and we wanted to talk to these people and get them on camera, of course, before you know they died. Uh, unfortunately, during the process of this production, uh, two of them have passed away. So we started by just getting this uh, these primary interviews with these individuals who lived at the time and knew Mary. Uh, from there, we began collecting materials, uh, starting with the internet, but we went to the Library of Congress, we went to Australian archives and also British archives as well, because Mary uh, performed in London for a time. And we began collecting the material after that. Uh, and from that point on, we had to kind of figure out what we could use and what we couldn't. I mean, looking at some of the names that Mary's connected with just sort of blew my mind. Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., even certain presidents of the U.S., uh, Franklin Roosevelt, all sorts. Uh, it was sort of reading some of those names that, that made me realize, you know what, I think this documentary definitely has to be seen um, for yourself, for everybody else, but mostly so I can watch it because it looks really, really fascinating. Is it able to, because, I mean, you've, you're related to Mary, um, is it is it quite difficult distancing yourself from the fact that you're related to that of being a filmmaker, or do you think that that you you don't need to sort of distance yourself on that? You you've got more passion for it because of your history with her. Well, I don't think that there would be a story about her if it weren't for me, and if it weren't for me discovering her, because. You know, as, as powerful as a woman as she was in her time, she became very polarizing over the years. And she started off as a child, so most of her contemporaries were m much older than her, you know, from Frank Sinatra to Milton Berle. So by the time she died, most of the people she knew had passed away. Her family, you know, she had really chosen fame in some ways over family, 
partly not so much because she wanted to be a star, but she she lost most of her childhood. In doing so, I think she she didn't have some of the the skills, the social skills, and the parenting skills she needed to rear her own family. And so uh, I think that ultimately that's what led the family to kind of grow apart. And you know, unfortunately, as you grow older, when you don't have family or friends, uh, close friends like that, uh, it gets difficult when you uh, in in your later years. And I think that's why she ultimately ended up being abandoned. But um, I felt like I was the only person who could tell her story uh, because I was the only one left. Well, they always they always say that people are gone only when people stop speaking their names. So it is really, really, I don't want to use the word nice because that's like under, that's, that's not a big enough word, I don't think, for the fact that this documentary has been put together. Um, you know, I mean, age six, is that correct? That she was supporting her family from the age of six? From age six, she was performing on radio in Baltimore. You know, of course, this was the dawn of the age of, of radio and the golden age of radio, which lasted for many years uh, before before we had television and the golden age of television. And she she went around at age six, didn't, didn't really make it, but she was on some shows. At 11 years old, she was put on the Fleischmann East Hour, which was a, a nationally broadcast program uh, out of New York, hosted by Rudy Valley. She sang a song called Louisville Lady. Uh, and at 11 years old, she sounded like an adult. And at that time, before mass media, nobody believed that a young girl was, uh, that sounds could emanate from a, from a, a young child that way. Uh, and people were mesmerized. Letters poured into the station. Uh, people did not believe that this young girl could sing like this. Um, and again, you know, now, now it's fairly commonplace, you know, you have, uh, children like Jackie, uh, Boncho, uh, who become, you know, big stars, but at the time it, w- it was unheard of. And, uh, almost overnight she became a, a, a big hit. A few weeks later, she had a show on NBC. So how big is the stockpile of information that you've got on Mary? Have you managed to find an absolute treasure trove of it all? Or, or are there still things out there that you're trying to track down? You know, Stuart, when I first started looking into Mary Small, there was not one thing on the internet that I could that really came up. I mean, you typed in her name and a children's author came up by the name of Mary Small. She was buried deep, deep within the uh, the, the net, and, and I essentially had to uh, resurrect her. I wrote everything from her uh, IMDB profile to her Wikipedia page. Uh, she was you know, pretty much glossed over. And a lot of people of that era have been as well. But I think that as more and more uh, uh, magazines and documents become imaged from our great libraries and they come online, I think that the true history of entertainment and, and obviously many other, you know, areas and disciplines is is going to come to light and basically percolate to the to the surface. Yeah, I mean, I always have this conversation with friends of mine about how a lot of films nowadays aren't being transferred over from VHS to DVD. That and some films will be lost. That is nowhere even near, you know, the amount of information that will be lost from the era of Mary Small. So I was on the Wikipedia page earlier on, so a fantastic job on building that page. There's a lot of information on there. No, while I was at it, I was just, just going to kind of touch on the fact that We've, we've become so accustomed to the internet and having all of the information at our fingertips, but 
people need to realize that the complete record, uh, at least in entertainment, has not come out yet. And in many cases, in order to build the chronology that I came to, I had to hire researchers who had to go directly to the Library of Congress and uh, archives uh, in Britain and also Australia to really dig up this information. And in fact, um, most of the credits associated with most of the early television programs, at least in the United States, are not listed on IMDb or, or those uh, sites. You, I mean, they have a healthy collection, but the full collection is not available there. And so in many cases, you know, we, we had to hire a researcher to go, you know, and look through the archives themselves. So it was a great journey in terms of learning, learning about those things and, and seeing, you know, what we could use, what, 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 what could be licensed and what, you know, what was cost prohibitive. And what, I mean, obviously you've, you've got your Kickstarter um, running. What is the journey of the documentary? Have you got like an estimated time when you would hope that that comes out? Um, what is the journey for it? Is it going to be like a cinema or a video on demand? Or have you got any plans like that thought out? We do. Uh, we're almost complete with uh, uh, post-production. What we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to finish the licensing uh, finish purchasing the licensing rights on some of the old Ed Sullivan shows, which we are using. Mary was one of the early performers on the Milton Berle and Ed Sullivan shows. And we've been able to kind of get away with using a lot of these. I shouldn't say get away. Uh, we've, we've legitimately used a lot of material by taking advantage of the fair use doctrine, um, which allows us to uh, basically feature uh, copyrighted material in a historical sequence in a transformative manner so that it, it becomes something new. In other words, we're not just ripping off the old, uh, the old shows. However, there are some, there are some pieces of the documentary, which, uh, we play for, for extended periods, which we do need to license. And so we are raising money to, you know, essentially finish paying for those costs. I mean, your target was $10,000, if I believe. I have a little screen here with little bits of information. Yep, it's $10,000 target. You currently, and this was earlier on today, on 6,255. Um, is at least about three weeks to go, I think. It ends on Friday the 15th of May. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're doing a lot better than a lot of the fundraising campaigns in the UK. <laughs> um, the US seem to be a lot more giving or or accommodating to fundraising campaigns which is fantastic it is which is good i mean what i'll say is this Stuart, and it's i don't know you know what necessarily how how you guys in england uh, uh, approach fair use but early on in the documentary we were lucky enough to get our film accepted into the stanford law school's documentary film program and what this allowed us to do was essentially use material that we would otherwise have to pay quite a lot of money for to, you know, larger studios and intellectual property holders. And they, they basically guided us through the process of presenting the information in the documentary in a way uh, that we didn't have to pay for those licenses. So if I did have to pay for everything in this documentary, it, it could have cost me at least half a million dollars. I mean, it was, it, it, some of these materials came at quite a high price, but again, we, we were lucky to link up with Stanford. And my hope is that the film can serve as an example to other filmmakers of how they can use these materials in a, you know, legitimate legal way 
to tell some of the richest stories, you know, of this of, of that era. Definitely, because it is a real, real shame that a lot of history is being not not necessarily forgotten, but just undiscovered. Hopefully, people will see the Mary Small documentary and also be inspired to, you know, make more documentaries about undiscovered history, and then you, you know, keep the ball rolling. You could be some sort of pioneer, um, you know, c- causing people to to make more historical documentaries, which would be amazing. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, the I, I think you've probably heard of Melody Maker. Yes. One of the articles that I found was in Melody Maker, and it was concerning a, a, a tour that uh, Mary Small had had to cancel when she was uh, playing at the London Palladium. And she was playing with another woman named Julie London at the time who, who recently passed. And I was just it's, – it's interesting what it's, – it's almost like when people say history is written by the winners, now it's almost like – history is whatever survives the hands of the archivists. I mean, it's so selective. And, you know, uh, uh, just for example, I know, you know, f- f- not for a fact, but that Rudy Valley was probably one of the great names of the 1920s. Um, however, over the years, he did bother a lot of journalists. He had a very abrasive nature about him. And people tended to kind of leave him out of the, you know, um, I'd say like the, the compendiums or the or the uh, chronicles of that era, and so again, people get left out, and the the weight of one performer one performer's influence over the other often changes, and so we're constantly looking back at history and trying to you know not interpret it, but you know give give the clear clear understanding of how people felt at the time and what what was considered great at the time and it's a it, you're constantly working at it i mean how far back did you go um into the life of mary small obviously when she was around six i guess and you're busy performing did you go into the lives of her parents as well or did you purely just focus on mary i went back you know they it was that same old story of coming to Ellis Island with one name and then coming out with another one. She started off, her name was Harriet Smolowski, which didn't lend itself to the entertainment industry. And so when she ultimately got into the Rudy Valley program, he was a little bit of a seasoned performer and he knew, you know, how important a name was. And he changed her name to Mary Small. Um, she also fibbed a little bit about her age, and so it was difficult for me to pinpoint a lot of census records and historical records, shipping records, because of uh, because of those discrepancies. But I ultimately was able to get get back and get the history of her mother and father. Although I focused it more more just on her throughout the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions as well. It's like how far forward did you bring? Or are you bringing this documentary? So are you, you're mainly focusing on the 30s, 40s, and 50s um, section of Mary's life. I thought that that would be the best, uh, the most interesting aspect of her life. But as I started getting through the story, I said, I want to paint a picture of a, of a performer, the whole arc. And sometimes they fade away gracefully, and sometimes they they go, you know, they go fighting. And uh, they they find it very difficult to. I don't want to mention any names today, but you know there are performers who just refuse to 
let somebody else step into the spotlight. Mary didn't want to do that. She wanted to go to the very end, but she, I found that she was a true artist. And even though she was performing in the thirties and forties, that was, that was really a very significant piece in her life. She really was a household name in the 1930s and forties. But uh, she did continue in through the 50s. She made records for Capitol Records, Epic, um, Choral. Uh, she was performing quite a bit in London uh, at the Palladium, which at the time, I think she was paid 2800 a week, but it was pretty big. And she had her name in Melody Maker and, and, uh, and places like that. They really liked her in London. Uh, but she ultimately had to kind of set her, her, her career aside in many ways for her husband's. And uh, that was something that she felt very bitter about throughout the years. But she, at, at her core, was a performer. She performed in stage plays and cabaret and teaching all the way through, through her life. And I wanted to paint the portrait of a, of a performer from, you know, life, you know, birth to death. And so I ended up telling the whole story and, the, and, and exhibiting pieces of her entire life. I bet it's a very, very much a learning experience for you as well, isn't it? Being a, being related to Mary, putting a documentary together, seeing a lot of things that nobody else has seen, and uh, just you know assembling it into your your documentary. Is it? Um, I mean, how's the emotional aspect of that for you? Because I would think it's got to be pretty lump in the throat type thing. It was a very cathartic experience, and I have bookended the film. Uh, with the within the context of my own personal discovery, but I didn't want the focus to be on me and what I had discovered. I really did want to talk about these performers of that era, their discipline, their grit, their strength, you know, and I admired those qualities in those people. I, I think that the same thing that helped the British soldiers and the American soldiers get through that war and was the same thing that helped their communities back home and their wives and the children get through it. It was a steadfast uh, resilience uh, in the face of, uh, you know, so many challenges. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of why we are the way we are today. And I think that we are better off because of that generation. And I said, this is a great, a great opportunity to tell the story of that generation through the eyes of a little girl who, who saw it firsthand. But it's it sort of sparked my curiosity as well because I'd been speaking with I'm guessing it was yourself maybe somebody else that's running the Twitter feed at uh, Mary Small Film and that's and I think we were supposed to do this podcast maybe a couple of weeks ago but I've had major technical issues as you could tell um, that have caused a knock-on effect and delays and whatnot and I'm really really glad that we've persevered and pushed through these Skype outs and I am going to start learning. Um, a little bit more about Mary Small, looking at the Wikipedia page, because you've got a lot of links on there, including information about you making the, the documentary. And it's nice to see that putting her name in to Google doesn't just bring up the author that you mentioned as well. So you've done a heck of a lot of hard work. I'm sure you've still got a lot ahead, a lot of hard work ahead for you. We do, and you know, we've gotten a lot of support through Kickstarter, and uh, we've, you know, yeah, we're about sixty-five percent of the way there. But uh, you know, I really do like the crowdfunding idea because it, it it gives you the chance to really share the story with people of similar interests, and it helps you find that community, which we certainly have. 
And um, yeah, we're really lucky to have have found somebody actually over there in 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 Britain who who knows what they're doing and knows how to connect us to those people. So we're we're lucky to have her over there. Nice. Um, I mean, this this podcast will go online within 24 hours of recording, so it will still give people a lot of time to go and have a look at the Kickstarter page. I will be putting the Kickstarter page and the Twitter page uh, in the show notes. So anybody listening to this. You know, don't have to frantically find a pen or whatever. Just have a look in the show notes. Have a look on my Twitter feed, and I'll be sharing the links and stuff. Do have a look at all the perks that you've got on there, Raphael. You've got a, you've got a hefty amount of perks on that page. What I wanted to it. let you know was, you know, we had a we had the fortune of of teaming up with Jasmine Records, who compiles a lot of great compilations of stars from era 1930s and 40s and we worked with a gentleman named alan eichler at that organization who actually was able to release a compilation of mary's music which we're making available as a reward um a 25 dollars reward on the kickstarter page so i think that's great um and i just want to follow up too in terms of mary's connection with uh with the people in england she you know when she played the palladium that was almost the pinnacle of her career in many respects. I mean, she had a lot of great firsts, but she remembered her time at the London Palladium as one of the, those were her fondest memories. That's when she really felt like she had made it as an artist. And I hope one day I can get over there and uh, check it out myself uh, because the stories that I've read about her reflecting on that are just so sentimental and it, it's, it's just so important uh, the connection that you know, both of our countries have in terms of music and how uh, it, it's really strengthened our relationship in so many ways. Nice. We do love the London Palladium over here as well. It's it's one of those sets of words that even if people have never visited the actual place, they're aware of it, whatever part of the country they're in, including myself. So, Yeah. It's very, very good. So where can people find out a little bit more about Mary Small, other than going to that fantastic Wikipedia page that you've put together? You can go and find out everything you'd ever wanted to know about Mary Small and more, uh, including the Golden Age of Radio and Vic Mizzy and the Adams Family at marysmall.net. Uh, you can also visit our Twitter feed at, at marysmallfilm as well, which points you to a lot of great uh, great resources and those also point you to our kickstarter campaigns and facebook pages where you can participate in the conversation and as i mentioned your campaign is running up till may the 15th so people listening to this before may the 15th head on over to you know the twitter feed mary small film follow into the kickstarter page have a look at some of the perks that 25 dollar one sounds really really good to get some of mary's music that's uh, is that your favorite perk? Do you think? Well, I think the my favorite perk is the forty dollar, which includes the DVD and the music. Uh, but for people who just kind of want to dip their toes into the subject and 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 that era, uh, the twenty five dollar uh, gift is is great too. Very nice. So, and you know that you've even got like a one dollar perk on there, which I think is a genius idea anyway, because some people could just throw in some loose change; they all add up. They really do. Um, so, and especially with Kickstarter as well, you need to hit your entire target in order to get that. So that's why it's it's doubly important. That's right. In order, 
in order to recover the full. Yep, in order to true. get the full target, jump over, donate some money, get some perks, even an early Christmas present. You know, get a DVD and a CD, buy it for somebody else if you want to get them something or treat yourself. But definitely, it's definitely a worthwhile project to uh, to donate some money to. I think. Thank you, thank you, Stuart, and I pre- I appreciate uh, appreciate this interview and appreciate everything you've been doing for film. My, you know, Mary Small could be a very polarizing figure. She was a tough woman, and uh, you want you want to tell the, the the truth, but at the same time, you you know, you have to create likable characters, and that's it's a fine line to balance that. And uh, my my character was very could be very polarizing, but I also wanted to show show the good side of her. I I like showing the good side of people. So, um, but I want to thank you very much for, uh, for, uh, for this conversation and, uh, for your interest in the film. You are definitely welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time out, Raphael, to tell me about a little bit more about Mary, learned a little bit more about yourself and the hard work you're putting in as well. And I am most definitely sure we shall keep in touch and I'll follow the progress of the documentary and uh, make sure that everybody also follows it on, on my timelines and so on. It was great speaking with you, and I can't wait to dig into your site and learn more about you, and uh, I appreciate it. Very much. Thank you, Eddie. We'll see Eddie in just a short while again. Now, ladies and gentlemen, introducing an incomparable singer, one of the greatest delineators of songs that we have today. First time I ever met her, she's a Baltimore girl. She was just a little child. She has grown up to be a very, very talented Broadway star. It's a pleasure to present to you the great singing personality of Mary Small. Schubert wrote a symphony Too bad he didn't finish it Gershwin found a chord in G And decided to diminish it I looked for a variation on a theme That I thought pretty And I found my inspiration On the east side of New York Yelling for the supper that he didn't care. 
the guy on the third floor Waking from the slumber by the guy on the fourth floor Practice in the rumba You know, I really love this great metropolis of ours, New York City. I'm kind of crazy about the people who live in it. They rest all day Sunday, but oh, how they work on Monday. From morning till night, it's really a sight to see. husband grabs his hat and hurries off to the job. The kiddies grab their books and then he run with a sob. The women grab their wash and into the tub. They rub a dub dub. Oh, how they scrub. Yeah!